Chapter Four, Part Two of Chemical Phenomena in Life by Frederick Chopik. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Outer Protoplasmatic Membrane and Its Chemical Functions, Part Two. The theory of osmosis, or the diffusion of dissolved substances through membranes, has undergone many changes. There was a time when it was generally believed that the diosmosis of a substance depended upon the size of the pores of the membrane and the size of the molecules of the dissolved substance. Diosmosis cannot take place when the pores are too small to let the molecules pass. The membrane was considered to act as a sieve for the molecules. This hypothesis does not explain why fatty substances cannot pass membranes which have taken up water. All signs show, rather, that solution affinities play the most important part in diosmosis. The membrane is always permeable for a certain substance, when this substance is soluble in the material of the membrane. Nernst demonstrated this view by a clear experiment. Ether is soluble in water as well as in benzene. Benzene is soluble in ether only and insoluble in water. When a quantity of benzene and a quantity of ether are separated from each other by a layer of water, it is to be expected that the ether will go through the layer of water, but not the benzene. A continuous stream of ether will pass through the water, but no stream of benzene in the contrary direction. An osmotic pressure must be produced, therefore, in the system on the side of the benzene. When the experiment is carried out, animal membrane saturated with water is placed, instead of a layer of liquid water, between the ether and the benzene. The benzene is poured into a glass funnel connected with a glass tube, and the funnel is closed with the saturated membrane. Then the funnel is dipped into a vessel containing ether. After a certain time, the liquid rising in the glass tube shows the end osmotic streaming in of the ether, subsequently the osmotic pressure. In the foregoing description, the term plasmatic membrane has often been employed for the superficial layer of hyaloplasm. We have to justify the choice of this expression. Membranes are films of firmer consistence than the material, namely the liquid, upon the surface of which they are formed. So the expression, plasmatic membrane, implies a firmer consistence for this layer than for the hyaloplasma itself. We know from daily experience that a colloidal solution such as a solution of albumin or starch paste, is inclined to form a thin film on the surface, which has almost the physical condition of a solid substance. Protoplasm, being a colloidal system, will most probably not differ from other colloids in this respect. We notice, indeed, after a lesion of a cell, when the cell and its protoplasm have been cut through, that the surface of the wound is quickly covered with a fine film. This may be seen very distinctly in the wide cell tubes of the marine alga Calerpa polyphora. The film-like excretion protects the protoplasm from any further injury from water oozing in. Consequently, the whole hyaloplasm layer in the wounded spot is soon regenerated. The formation of membranes and of films is, then, a general characteristic of protoplasm and of colloids. This goes so far that it is possible to deprive an albumin solution entirely of its contents of albumin by shaking it. The albumin at once becomes insoluble. We see thus how unstable many colloids are. It has been already mentioned in a former chapter that a minimum of salt solution is sufficient to precipitate suspension colloids. But to bring about the flaking out of emulsion colloids by means of salts, we must add comparatively large quantities of mineral salts. 
there is no doubt that the effect of salt on emulsion colloids is in many respects allied to the effects of dissolving. Between the particles of the colloid and the salt, there must be some solution affinities which do not exist in suspension colloids. In consequence of this characteristic, Perrin has proposed to name the suspension colloids lyophobic colloids, because there no solution affinities play any part, and to name the emulsion colloids lyophil colloids, from their connection with real solutions. Durable films are formed especially by precipitated suspension colloids. Such precipitations are not reversible. When, on the other hand, albumin is precipitated by sodium chloride, it is possible to again dissolve the precipitation by diluting it with water. This process is reversible. Generally, in albumin, all precipitations with the salts of the light alkaline metals and of magnesium are reversible. But they are not reversible when precipitated by copper salts, iron salts, or any other salt of heavy metals. Precipitations with calcium or strontium salts are inclined to be quite insoluble in water. It is noteworthy that the working of the salt depends upon the acid contained in it. Francis Hofmeister of Strasbourg was the first to show that alkaline metal salts of different acids have a certain graduated effect on colloid solutions. They may be arranged in the following way, beginning with the acid which precipitates most quickly. Citrate, tartrate, sulfate, acetate, chloride, nitrate, chlorate. This law became of the greatest importance in the chemistry of colloids. It is not only applicable to the transition of colloid solutions into solid colloids, but even to the chemical and physical states of solid colloids themselves. Gramt named solid colloids gels, the name corresponding to that of sols or liquid colloids. The physical condition of certain gels is very different. Glue itself, when quite dry, forms a horny mass, hard, inflexible, and brittle. When it is more or less saturated with water, it becomes flexible, viscous, then gelatinous, and in the course of imbibition with water, it approaches the liquid state. Many gels have the character of a gelatinous mass. Some, as gum arabic, finally dissolve entirely. Others, as cherry gum, swell in water to a jelly and never dissolve. Doubtless gels are of great importance in plasmatic structure. They are formed in plasmatic colloids by many influences, such as surface tension, electrolytes, and the mutual precipitating effects of colloids. Whenever protoplasm sols meet precipitating influences, films must be formed, which separate the different parts from each other. Such gel membranes, on the other hand, play the part of semi-permeable filters. Some substances are soluble in them and consequently pass through, but other substances being insoluble in the gel substance are retained. There is still another retention of substances in gels, which is not a consequence of their insolubility, but on the contrary, must be traced back to some affinity of the substance retained with the gel colloid. We call this process of retention adsorption of substances. There is no doubt that adsorption is of the greatest importance for chemical processes in life. We have especially to consider that the resorption of dissolved substances by cell protoplasm from the surrounding liquids must be connected with adsorption in protoplasm colloids. Taking up food by hyaloplasm is consequently as inseparable from adsorption in the colloidal matter of the plasmatic membrane as from solution in the fatty substances of the superficial layer of protoplasm. 
Essentially, adsorption cannot be separated from the swelling of gels in water. Many experiments have shown that all influences which further the swelling of gels hinder adsorption and vice versa. Hofmeister's law was found to be in force even in this group of phenomena. The anions of acids which are most effective in precipitating sols are the same which are most adsorbed. When adsorption of salts takes place by living cells or by colloids, the electric state of the colloid is very frequently of great influence on the process of adsorption. Most of the organic colloids are, as was shown above, negatively electric. They must consequently act like acid anions, and will, in adsorption, chiefly attract the bases of the salts. If the salt is in a highly diluted state, practically, adsorption only of ions can take place. Mainly the cations, namely the metal ions, are retained by adsorption, while the anions remain to a certain extent unaffected. Hence, of course, must result reactions of acids, without any chemical production of acids. Doubtless such adsorption phenomena are of great interest for physiology. It has for a long time been well known that roots of plants produce the effect of acids on the soil and its constituents. It is possible to show this by letting roots grow along polished marble plates. After some weeks, the marble surface clearly demonstrates the dissolving effect of growing roots and root hairs. Delicate traces are everywhere etched in the marble surface, where roots have come into close contact with the plate. I was able to show, in 1894, that carbonic acid is certainly, to a great extent, responsible for this phenomenon. I made plates of plaster of Paris mixed with different substances, the solubility of which in water, saturated with carbonic acid, had been well considered. I discovered that only such compounds are dissolved by the plant roots in their excretion as were distinctly soluble in carbonic acid. These were phosphate of calcium and strontium, but not aluminium phosphate, which is dissoluble by carbonic acid. Nevertheless, there are other effects of acids in plant roots which cannot possibly be due to carbonic acid, and which have not been explained until lately. Now it is believed to be highly probable that merely the adsorption effect takes part in these phenomena, and no excretion of acids by the roots is to be assumed. If the cations are absorbed and anions of acids remain, reactions of acids must result, as well as in real excretion of acids. Now we can understand why acids could not be discovered in the excretion drops of the root hairs, and why they react quite neutrally. Most probably, even the acid properties of peat and of humic acids of the soil can be attributed to colloidal elective adsorption. The negatively electric colloids of the peat moss retain, as Bauman and Gully have lately shown, chiefly the basic ions of the dissolved salts, and this adsorptive election must lead to the reactions of acid in the soil extract. It can easily be demonstrated that the citrate and the tartrate are most adsorbed, and productive more of the effect of an acid than other salts of the same alkaline metal. I cannot but suppose that the taking up of dissolved salts by living cells is essentially founded upon phenomena of adsorption. This opinion has been confirmed by the chemical analysis of peat moss by Bauman and Gully. It was found that the quantities of the basic mineral constituents of the moss ash are almost the same as are adsorbed by the plant from the soil. 
Long ago, agricultural chemists had stated that the constitution of the ash of plants which grow upon the same territory may widely differ. This elective assimilation of soil constituents may be now explained to a great extent by the absorptive properties of the colloids of the living cells. In summing up, we may say that the superficial layer of cell protoplasm, called hyaloplasm, may be considered to be a film of more solid constitution, which we call the plasmatic membrane. This membrane regulates the change of substances in the metabolism of the cell, the assimilation of food taken up from outside the cell, and the excretion of substances from the cell. The plasmatic membrane is not completely permeable for all substances, but has a so-called semi-permeable layer, which permits some substances to pass through and others not. The protoplasmatic membrane is a compound colloid system consisting of an extremely fine fat emulsion suspended in a hydrosol, probably an albuminous colloidal solution. We see, then, that fatty bodies are taken up as well as watery solutions. Concerning the latter, we are able to show how important adsorption phenomena are in assimilating them. The laws of adsorption govern the assimilation of salts from the soil. Even the action of acids can be produced by adsorptive election. So we may say that a great many phenomena in life, once attributed to life force and not to be explained by chemical laws, can, in the present stage of science, be reduced to the general laws of nature. End of chapter 4